With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Looking to throw over the middle and into the end zone. Touchdown, Arizona State. We support each other's uh, teams the rest of the year, but during this game, all bets are off. That was all Keaton Slovis. Wow, what a play by him. One man to beat 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, a new NCAA record. Dante Pettis. Washington State has found a way to move the ball. It's incredible what we're seeing here in Pullman tonight. Touchdown, Oregon. They fake the handoff. Justin Herbert delivers a dart. I went to HR several times uh, about how the Duck fans treat me. Touchdown, Utah. I mean, this is the Pac-12 we're talking about. It's the morning of August 13th in 2020, which means a great deal. Uh, Pac-12 football and all Pac-12 sports have been canceled for the remainder of 2020. I'm Jordan Brenner, joined by Brad Restituto and Jonathan Rifkin. We're going to be breaking down everything having to do with that decision. Uh, guys, let's start Let's start with this. Let's start with something a little bit lighter. Uh, we saw our first look of Justin at Justin Herbert on Hard Knocks. It's featuring Jared Goff. Uh, also the quarterback of the Rams hard knock season is one of the best times of the year without Pac-12 football in the fall. You know, I know I'll be tuning in every single week to see those two and how they're, how they're doing. Do you guys plan to, to check those guys out? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anytime you have Pac-12 talent on the field, I want to pay attention to it. When you have somebody from the school that I'm a homer for, I definitely have to pay attention to it. And when you have somebody on a school that I'm a homer for that I think is going to start earlier than anybody else thinks, I definitely want to see what's going on behind the scenes. I'm pumped, pumped for Hard Knocks this season. Yeah, I'm excited to see these two and uh, their trajectory with their teams at different points, especially uh, Justin Herbert. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is definitely liked by the coaches. He's a guy that doesn't turn the ball over and is the perfect bridge quarterback. So um, you, he didn't last as long in Cleveland as the starter, uh, but I think a little of that was due to some injury. But I think with the uh, L.A. Chargers and some of the pieces around them, they have a chance to compete, especially with the expanded playoff structure in the NFL. Uh, so I think it'll be a little longer before Herbert sees the field. Uh, and as far as Jared Goff goes, he's, a, he's an interesting character because this is a guy who a lot of us uh, here in Las Vegas were screaming bust after year one under Jeff Fisher. Uh, and then year two, year three with uh, Sean McVay, Super Bowl appearance look to be rejuvenated, and then a little regression in year three. So it's interesting to see where Jared Goff will fall in between a lot of people claiming bust after year one, Super Bowl appearance, uh, then a little regression. So uh, Jared Goff's uh, – this year is a really big year, and especially with the shortened offseason, no preseason. It's going to be really interesting to see the adjustment with Jared Goff and then a little bit of comfortability within the system uh, under Sean McVay with a few years under his belt. Yeah, it's definitely a proving year for Jared Goff, who, when he has weapons around him and an offensive line and, you know, one of the great running back seasons of all time right next to him, has proven he could take a team to a Super Bowl, be an MVP-type candidate. Uh, I actually think Justin Herbert and his future, uh, I think there are a lot of similarities between he and Jared Goff. Particularly, you never know how somebody's athleticism will look four or five years down the line. Uh, Herbert, arm strength, 
pocket type quarterback. And I think it'll be interesting to see those two side by side. And one more thing I'll add. I don't know if you guys checked out the first episode, but Justin Herbert is massive. In my time at Oregon, uh, I go to like the media availabilities two, three times a week. And Herbert was good buddies with all the offensive linemen. That was his crew. And they'd walk together. And if you didn't know that was, you know, one of the five best college quarterbacks in the country, you'd think he was an offensive lineman. That's how big he was. And that, that definitely translated to the pros. He looked massive. But let's get into the meat of this here. So Tuesday was announced uh, that all fall sports are going to be postponed to January 2021 at the very soonest. So that's not just football. You got to feel for the players in volleyball, soccer, uh, everybody. This is this is a tough decision. And this decision also extends to certain winter sports. College basketball normally starts in November. That's not going to happen this year. Uh, it's a sad day because you have players who have been on Zoom calls, preparing, studying the playbooks, even on campus getting ready for the season, uh, you know, just pouring their heart and soul into this. And you have, you have to feel for those players. Uh, it's not their fault that they're not playing. Uh, you also have to feel for – athletic departments and the people within those departments and talent at the PAC 12 network. You know, we were just talking before we got on air, Mike Yam, who's no longer with PAC 12 network due to these, uh, due to the situation we're in, you know, Mike Yam, I've met him a couple of times. It's a class act. He's as, he's as good as it gets at the PAC 12 network. If, if, if he's gone, you know, nobody's really safe because he's a professional through and through. What are your reactions to this? Just so many implications here. It's a sad day. And, you know, first and foremost, I feel bad for the players and the coaches and the people whose jobs are affected by this. It's tough. It's really, really tough. I mean, when you have your entire passion and your entire future that you're aspiring and working towards basically torn out in front of you, it's not easy. Now, in the Pac-12... In the Pac-12, it's a different story. The Pac-12 chose not to play for a different reason than the Big Ten decided to play. The Big Ten didn't include their players, didn't include the coaches. It was the presidents, it was the athletic directors, and it was the governor. Remember, the governor gets a say in all of this, and state by state, you can kind of assume what the governor's position on what, if the, whether or not there should be college sports. So, uh the Big Ten left everybody out who should have been part of the conversation, pushed this initiative onto everybody. And that's why they came on and said, we need to have, let's have the Pac-12 SEC. We will invite the other conferences to come out <laughs> with a joint statement because they want to take the onus and take the pressure off of them because they were the bearers of bad news. Now, the Pac-12, that wasn't the case. The Pac-12 voted no. The ADs and the coaches felt it, like it was necessary because they don't trust the Pac-12 as an infrastructure to protect their players. And you have to feel comfortable that your players will be protected by your conference in order to move forward. And we've seen that. That's why the We Are United movement came to be, right? Because the players wanted to have a say in the discussions going on that they were not a part of. And when they talked to Larry Scott, they said, we came away feeling discouraged and disappointed by our conversation. So the Pac-12 probably voted no because they felt like, how can we feel safe with the conference protecting our players if they haven't proven otherwise? The Big Ten voted no because they were out of sync and had no did not include the right people in the conversation. So it's the same result with two different stories, and it's every bit as sad no matter what. Guys, I, I've got a friend that uh, works for a Division One school here in the state of Nevada. He's actually worked for both of the Division One schools in Nevada, and he's got uh, a lot of connections in the college basketball industry from the coaching standpoint, and he's been on a text with me throughout this whole pandemic. And he's of the opinion that we better lock in and be prepared for no college athletics for at least two years. Uh, I, I think that's a little extreme, but this is his firm opinion. Uh, and I, I think I at least am interested in listening to his opinion and how it continues to progress. That's from one person within the doors of a college facilities aspect. I live here in the state uh, of Nevada in Las Vegas, and I can speak from uh, a local perspective, and, and let me just speak to the sports books. Uh, the Review Journal here in Vegas reported um, that during football season, 
there's 187 or 1.87 billion dollars transacted for football during the sports books and about 112 million of that is profit uh so without college football uh the sports books in nevada stand to lose roughly around 50 million dollars um you know that that's sports books entities it's a big chunk of money and, and you mentioned jordan the the impact across the landscape that that vibrates around uh people losing jobs and losing income. And it really does trickle down a lot. When you talk about fall sports, winter sports, you're talking about traveling from conferences and different sites for games. You're talking about hotels that that stay these athletes. You're talking about restaurants that generate business. This is a really big trickle down effect. And you don't want to minimize the impact of some of those also. I mean, these are, are, are guaranteed travel aspects that these teams uh, have each and every week and each and every month involved in these conference and non-conference games that people are losing money on. And it's really difficult to sustain business, small businesses around the, the landscapes of your communities, whether it's Boulder, Colorado, whether it's Reno, Nevada, or, or it's Eugene, Oregon. It's really tough uh, to, to really um, put in perspective the overall impact financially that this trickles down not having college athletics. And, you know, what comes to mind for me is a couple shows ago, we, we were discussing a newly uh, announced uh, loan program for PAC 12 universities, which would help them, you know, at least deal with the blow that this COVID-19 pandemic could have on the entire athletic department. But, Brad, what you're saying, I, I think that's really the part that's going untalked about for the most part. College football is such a critical part of the economies for some of these uh, local communities. I'm sure there are certain businesses in Eugene, Oregon, who, you know, a lot of their revenue comes from just the college football season and the game day environment. And there, there's no way to make up for that. And I think that's that's truly a tragedy. And definitely something that needs to be discussed more. It's not just the athletic programs and the student athletes. It's the people who have built their business models around the expectation that college football would operate normally in the fall. And that's the tough thing. I think Jordan, the overall point of this is why nobody can agree. We all had different expectations, right? We were all looking at, we were all thinking in the way that we wanted to believe that was going to happen. So when these decisions were made and it wasn't in the interest of which we thought it was going to be, that's where that disconnect comes. And that's why you see within the conferences, within like there are players that are okay with this decision and there are players that are not okay with this decision. The voices are louder though for the players who are not okay because those players seem to be the ones who have a brighter future at the next level. And that's another aspect I think that nobody's talking about because yes, small businesses are very, very much affected, but they're already affected by coronavirus. So how much is a small business really going to pay to sponsor a college right now when they're already in the red, right? So yes, they, the ones that are able to have funds to be able to go towards stuff like this, that does hurt them. But again, small businesses in Eugene right now are probably struggling enough as it is. I don't know if anybody's in a position to write a big check to a university uh, to go and sponsor them when they're struggling, don't have that equity. So that's, that's the only devil's advocate point I'd make to that. But nobody's talking about the fact that when Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields both came out and talked about this, obviously they're backed by most college athletes, but the voices of the ones who want to play are louder because those are the ones who have a future at the next level. The ones who aren't going to be in the NFL immediately, the ones who aren't locks to be first round picks or so like you could take Justin Fields and you could take Trevor Lawrence. They could sit out the season. You could fly them to Mars and back and they would still be the top five picks in the NFL draft next season. But there are plenty of players where that's not the case and are probably okay taking a, 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 a step back and saying, this is for my safety. I'm still going to be on the playing field next year. This is my passion and I want to make it last as long as possible. Not, oh, I have millions of dollars at risk. I need to be able to show I can prove my worth or I need to show that I'm a leader in this community so that way my draft stock and my brand and recognition increases. Because remember, at the next level, Trevor Lawrence wants brand recognition so he can make a crap ton of money. Same with Justin Fields. I'm not saying that they're selfish and that they're doing this with selfish intent. I'm just saying that there is another aspect of this that benefits them when they're able to move on to the next level. 
quickly, because I'm not as well read in the reaction to the Big Ten compared to the Pac-12. Have you have you noticed any differences in how fans, uh, players, and coaches have perceived the Big Ten decision compared to the Pac-12 decision? Because while there there are loud voices expressing disappointment in the Pac-12's decision, I think the fact that there was a unanimous vote by Pac-12 presidents, the fact that in Bruce Feldman's article this morning, coaches, when presented with information about myocarditis, the heart condition affiliated with COVID-19, the fact that it was honestly an easy decision to make for a lot of those people. I haven't noticed the same backlash for the Pac-12 compared to the Big Ten. There's not because, the first of all, the Pac-12's decision was made before. I I have a strong feeling because Jordan, you and I have been saying the feeling is the feeling is there. We've been saying this since April, man. You and I yeah. have been talking about this. I think it was more of the cherry on top. The, the fact that it pushed them over the top right. when presented with this information. Yeah, the, the, this is but, this is an area we don't want to go to. But you ask me about the reaction. Okay, so the Big Ten, everybody is up in arms in the Big Ten because of how it's handled. Right? I said that it was handled differently in the Pac-12. The Pac-12. We should. We are all upset because what really should have been done. And Mike Bone, the athletic director yesterday at USC, came out and said, you know, six months ago, the hardest decision or the hardest decision I ever had to make as an athletic director. Remember, he came from Cincinnati, uh, was to tell my athletes for winter and spring sports that they weren't going to have championships and that their seasons were canceled. And he said, this is an unabridged version. He said, almost six months to a T, to the dot. I am here to have to tell my fall athletes that they will not have sports and championships this fall. The problem is, is that no athletic director or president in the Pac-12 took the initiative back in March when they had to make these hard decisions for their spring and winter athletes to change the way that the structure was in the Pac-12. So now, yes, they had to vote no because they didn't trust Larry Scott and the administrators in the Pac-12 to protect their players. But back in March, they didn't trust Larry Scott and the administration to protect their players, but they did nothing between then and now to change that. And that's why we should be upset. I'm not upset about, I want college football to happen. I'm upset at the big 10 because of how, wow, because of how they managed this whole thing. Not about the decision that they made. It was how they made that decision. The PAC 12, I'm not, I'm not that upset about not doing this and because of how they managed this, this decision. Wow. What a mouthful. For me, it's uh, from the coaching aspect of the coaches in the conference. I feel like the Pac-12 uh, is kind of resigned to the fact that we have to re-game plan and figure out what our next step is after the fall. I feel like a Scott Frost, a Jim Harbaugh, uh, Ryan Day, some of those big Big Ten schools that have huge name recognition, uh, they're not completely done making noise during this. I feel like they want to exercise and they're going to try to exercise – every option available to get their kids and get their programs on the field uh, in the fall, especially if an SEC and ACC uh, find a way and find plans to, to, to feel the product. I feel like a school like Michigan, Ohio state, Nebraska, uh, if they see the SEC and the ACC are going to find a way to play, I don't feel like they're going to go down quietly and accept the fact that, that their season's done. That's a tough decision. So Bill Hooley, uh, who is a big, big 10 insider, uh, yesterday came on AYS with uh, Blake Rafino, an awesome, awesome guy. Go look him up. He does a Spectrum Sports show for the Big Ten out in, in Columbus, Ohio. And he said the only issue with that is that there are a ton of contracts that come into play. How do you make those contracts happen in, in a short time? And then also, how do you ensure that, number one, you're allowed to go back to your conference? Because that's a big deal, right? This is only benefiting football if, a, if they decide to go to a different conference and play fall sports because football is the only rev sport. If football didn't bring in money, they wouldn't care as much. But that's why they want to do it. But you're really hurting the other sports if you make a decision like this. Um, and again, with the contracts, it's, it becomes really, really tough. What can happen, though, is that players can transfer without being penalized. And then they actually can transfer back. Uh, and the school can give them a waiver to come back after the season. That gets that's, there's, there's still some red tape surrounding that. But that's less of an issue, uh, both legally and financially, I think, with the schools than if a school actually leaves their conference and then either wants to come back or won't be allowed to come back. I thought it was interesting. Nebraska came out with a statement today. It's kind of like a, pl a player on an MLB or NBA team entering free agency and they go onto Twitter and pledge their support to the organization. That's kind of what Nebraska did uh, towards the Big Ten. 
today. But let me get really specific with the conversation that we're having and ask a pointed question. Does the Pac-12 conference and how they handled this situation deserve the same amount of backlash, less backlash, or more backlash than than what they're getting? I'll start. Truthfully, I think that based on what I've been reading, based on Bruce Feldman's article this morning, I think the Pac-12 really was driven by health and safety to finalize this decision at this point. Jonathan, we were talking about how this was you know, something we were talking about for months, how this was an expected decision. I think this was the cherry on top. It was the health and safety of the players. The fact that uh, when presented with information on myocarditis, the fact that it is showing up at a higher rate in COVID-19 patients than in other viruses, the fact that there have been heart uh, complications with college football players and other athletes around the country, the fact that it has appeared in people not even showing symptoms to COVID-19. When you're dealing with the heart, I think a lot of head coaches and certainly the Pac-12 university presidents and the vote reflected this. You mentioned red tape. That that was tape they weren't willing to pass over. And you could say that that decision was more about the long-term, uh, you know, the long-term financial reasons of that, the fact that, you know, maybe a player could sue down the road, all those liability issues, that that was probably part of the decision. I think it would be irresponsible for us to ignore that. But I still think health and safety, the fact that the heart was involved, that was a big deal for the Pac-12. And there was a really telling quote to me, uh, a Pac-12 coach, a head coach, I should say, went on the record as saying, and he this person was anonymous. We don't know which Pac-12 head coach it was. He was honestly shocked that the Big 12, SEC, and ACC hadn't looked at this information. He said it was an obvious decision when this information was presented to us to vote no on the fall and delay. And he, he's kind of shaking his head and taking a step back when the other conferences maybe aren't taking this information that was given to them directly by medical professionals and scientists, they're not taking it as seriously as the Pac-12. No, I I agree. Well, I agree that they're not taking it as seriously. But I also think that, look, it's opportunity cost. All these decisions are opportunity cost. What do you value and how do you value it? Do you value money more? Like the Southland is showing because they want to allow the health and safety of players. I think that's the the difference. Exactly. So that's that's a big deal. But this is where the players need to ha- be a part of the conversation. I know they're not medical experts. I know that. I like we're all very aware that eighteen to twenty-three year olds on the football field are not medical experts, and they probably won't be in their entire lifetime. That's not true. Some there are some very intelligent football players. I'm not saying that the other ones aren't, but in that respect, anyways, off topic. <laughs> um, my point is is that regardless, if they feel if like they're they feel comfortable, I know we have to. Are we really trusting eighteen to twenty three year olds? I don't even trust myself, and I because I'm twenty three year old. Jordan, you're twenty two, twenty one years old. It's like, do we really trust our constituency with decisions like this? No, I don't. But the problem is, is that their opinion does matter because it's their lives at play here. If if they're allowing the decision to be made by the hierarchy about what they can do with their athleticism and the the path that they have chosen that inherently there's a, is a flaw because you're not giving them the opportunity you're actually exploiting them right you're further exploiting them if the athletes don't i think the athletes in the pac-12 had were part of the decision right we are united movement was was the point of that so in this conference it's fine but in the big 10 in the southland that just announced or even conference usa when uh or excuse me old dominion and the sunbelt backed out those athletes don't didn't have a decision and that's where the over the o- overarching problem is with all of this and then it begs the question, what's the point of the NCAA? Is the NCAA structure flawed because they left it up to the conferences? Nobody can agree. And they've proven that the conferences can't work together to create a unified decision to get this thing going. That's a big problem. And the Big Ten proved that when they came out and they said, we need the other conferences to come out with a joint statement. Pac-12 didn't say anything. The Big 12 said, eh, we'll talk about it. We're probably going to play. The SEC and the ACC said, heck no, we're going to play. Like there's there's no unity and there's no way for the NCAA to grow within that. So um, there's there's problems everywhere. The Pac-12, for, 
for a conference that has said no is handled the best. But the other thing is, if the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC play and it works, do we look at the Pac-12 decision and say? But I don't. Here's here's where I push back, John. Go ahead. Sure. The, go ahead. We won't know if it quote unquote works for many many years. I think that's that's the big thing here. The fact that there that this is a novel coronavirus. The fact that we're still learning about it. This condition is for a fact popping up in young student athletes. Right. We don't know those effects until way down the road. Interesting. I see your that's a great point, Jordan. So you're saying that even if the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 play short term, you pick sure. up profit, you right. know, maybe players even get an NFL opportunity. And for a lot of players, it might be the best thing that ever happened to them that they played this football season. You know, I, I thought Joe Burrow coming out and saying, Hey, if I didn't have a season last year, who knows where I'd be today? Ellis, you may not be a national champion. He may not have been the number one overall pick in the draft. But the long-term effects of this virus are still largely unknown. And for athletes who are not being compensated to have to assume that long-term risk, I don't think that's something that the Pac-12 was willing to do at all. And, you know, I'm sitting here critical of the other conferences who may not be taking that same information into account because that, at the moment at least, sounds like what's going on. Yeah, look, you you mentioned the long term effect. I think I think that's important because we're not. I don't think we're going to have an answer to that for a long time. Uh, I, I think what you said, Jordan, about the health and safety, I think that's the right thing to do. I don't think that's the reality. I think that's a beard of what the they want the PR to look like of the reason why that they're not having a season or or what their first and foremost concern was. I honestly don't believe that that's anybody, any conference's first and foremost concern. I, I, I think it's the bottom line. And I think the Pac-12 is in a different situation than other conferences when you're trying to map a blueprint of how to execute any type of season. And when you've already had West Coast Conference schools, no matter what level, drop out early on in the game, which is okay, but it really restricts what the Pac-12 can do if they wanted to put together any type of season from a travel aspect. When you have an SEC, a Sunbelt Conference, and an ACC who regionally are fairly close together, where you can have a, a UAB and, and an Alabama school play each other and not have to travel a long time, if you're a Pac-12 conference school, you have to go pretty much towards the Big 12 area to get your closest game if you're not within the conference or you or you want to play Mountain West games, which already dropped out of the season. Um, and, and it's really it's really a tough thing to navigate. You mentioned, Jordan, the, the young college players uh, that have had complications or that have tested positive. Well, I want to look at the, at the major NFL, uh, NBA, NHL, MLB, uh, sports that's done testing and that already have products on the field, excluding the NFL. How many reported cases of COVID-19 positive has resulted in, in hospitalizations? I think the answer is zero up, up to this point, as far as from the professional athletes. Anybody that's tested positive at this point, have we heard a report of them having to be hospitalized because of complications to COVID-19? That answer is zero right now. Is there guys that have that have had to have been hospitalized, tested positive? I don't know the answer to that, but I know a guy like a Russell Westbrook, who was pretty much quarantined for 12 days, showed back up in the bubble and is playing great. Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell. We we talked about, uh, or we didn't talk about, but in the news it was talked about uh, former Braves player, I believe, Brian McCann, who looked like his season was over. He's in MLB now tearing it up. Uh, those are just a, a small list of guys. I know that there's guys that have had complications and we don't know what their underlying issues are but from a professional standpoint we've had a lot of people tested and we've had a good amount of people tested positive but from the hospitalization aspect that number to me from what i've heard reported sits at zero right now and that's got to be taken in consideration with the contrary i think it's it, it's good to be very safe and cautious when you talk about young men's lives at risk but let's also put the the broad perspective out there and, and let's weigh what the actual risks are compared to what the testing and the safety requirements are within the confines of your college uh, organization or your, or your college landscape. On August 4th, 2020, the Indiana Star, Brad, reported a viral Facebook post from an Indiana University football player's mom about son's COVID-19 issue serves as a warning. This is this article was the reason that the Mac shut down because the Mac schools could not afford to get testing, to be able to make sure that their athletes were healthy enough. 
And if that happens, and then these long-term effects, if they get can't test for antibodies and these athletes are exposed and something happens on the football field and there are false ne- uh, false positives or false negatives, excuse me, uh, you're risking a whole, whole lot. So in this article, he's a freshman offensive lineman who tested positive for the virus during a screening conducted by the program in July. He was isolated from his teammates. And after 14 days, he was fine. Within two days, he was hospitalized with exactly what we've been talking about. He's now struggling for his life. That's one right there. That it, it should not be. We can't let that happen. Like if that, that's why the Mac shut down. Like that, if there, there is one, and there might be more. Yeah, that, that, I understand that. I, I, I didn't say I, I, I'm familiar with that guy. I almost talking about from a pro- professional's perspective. We've the, got five the, professional sports out there right now, four you, or five, including UFC, including boxing, that we have had zero reports of hospitalizations. Yes, I understand the Indiana player that's had complications, and there's there's stories out there of young people that have had complications. But let's put the broad perspective on what number that is and what percentage of people tested is that out there. Does one guy or, or two or three or ten, does that mean we shut everything down yes. and we don't move yeah. forward? Yes, 100%. Totally. I don't you agree. Risk a, I don't you agree. cannot risk an 18-year-old's life. I don't care. You can't risk an 18-year-old's life. I think bringing in the comparison, I think the professional comparison is worth noting. I think it's worth bringing into the conversation. But I just think there's such a clear difference between – the compensation and the fact that there definitely is. And and there's a clear difference in, in an amateur athlete putting themselves at risk. I completely a hundred percent agree with that. Um, But, but to say that we, we shut it all down and we don't manage the risk because there's a couple people that, uh, or more than a couple people that may have complications or maybe putting themselves at risk football players put themselves at risk every off season when they participate in off season activities in inclement weather, whether it's heat weather. And we've seen deaths year after year in practices. And we've seen lawsuits of from families and players that aren't being taken care of properly in their off season activities and have dire effects. I know that we're comparing different things here, but we're still talking about people's lives that are at risk in one capacity or the other. I take, uh, so there's one thing, Brad, I think everything you're saying is at least worth bringing into the conversation. You know, Jonathan and I may not agree, but I think these are and that's okay. <laughs> these are points that are worth bringing up. I took issue with you calling this more of a PR type of thing, the myocarditis uh, aspect of things. I really disagree with you there, and I'll bring up the president of Arizona who was involved with this vote, who voted no to a fall season. He's literally a heart surgeon. He is somebody who has worked in the Stanford uh, surgery. This is an impossible word to pronounce, but I'll I'll try. Cardiothoracic surgery at Stanford, a heart surgeon who voted no. And he just said, I'll I'll give you the quote. We just don't know in asymptomatic elite athletes what the prevalence or incidence is. And they're not going to know that by the fall. And that's why the decision was to shut it down. I think it's that simple. You know, this this may have been in works for weeks. I concede that. I think it's a little bit suspicious that, you know, we didn't hear about myocarditis until like two or three weeks ago. Uh, this may have been something that they could have brought up in June, July. Who knows? Maybe they didn't know. But I I, I really don't think it is a PR stunt. I think really it's it's the only decision to be made right now. And that's why I sit here questioning the ACC Big 12 and SEC and their course of action. And look, I, I don't agree with, I mean, I don't disagree with the fact that this is the right thing to do. I'm speaking from a broader perspective, more so than a, a personal perspective. If this is the decision that's been made based on this information, I am in complete agreement that as a whole, this should all be shut down from a collegiate perspective. But it's just interesting to me that SEC officials, coaches, administration, and their doctors, they want to paint a different picture and they want to move forward in playing. So with that being said, when you have this story, Jordan and John, that and, and you mentioned that the doctors that have put their information out there about these risks, that immediately would signal to me, shut the entire thing down. For, so for schools to continue to try to push forward to play, now you have regions of fans and people that are getting a story from one side 
uh, of the argument. And they're like, let's play. Why aren't we playing? And then we have this side over here that seems more logical, safe, and reasonable saying shut it down. So I'm not speaking necessarily from my perspective of saying that let's play. We should play. We shouldn't put one or two people at risk. I'm saying that this is an argument that is not just regional to the West Coast, that there's people in the South and on the uh, coast saying the things that I'm saying, not necessarily my opinion, but saying, well, our doctors are saying this. Why don't we play? And then on the West Coast saying, look, we're being safe. Uh, so all, all I'm saying is how can we be as, as people, regardless of where you're at, so far off, if one area is saying this, it should be a universal shutdown and everybody should get together and try to agree on that. And if it's not, then why are we not figuring out? A, I just don't see how everyone can be on such different pages regionally when it seems like uh, the safe and the best thing to do is just to shut it all down and regroup. And I think that's just a microcosm of you know, America. States of America. That's, that's that's the crux of every single issue that's being debated right yeah. now, at least in my estimation. And in Jonathan, you got thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I've been saying this since the beginning. This football, football of all sports, is a regional sport, in, especially in the NCAA and SEC and ACC and Pac or and uh, Big Twelve fans are more impassionate about football, college football, than the pa average Pac twelve fan. Like that's just the truth. Like, sure, you have your crazy fans in, in Pullman and Seattle and Eugene and in Tempe, but for the most part, your Pac-12 fan is not not anywhere near what you see at and in the average fan in those conferences. So they're consuming information that is SEC has done 18 of the last 18 national championships. I think some Ohio State, USC are the only two schools that have won outside the SEC. I, I need to double check, but I'm pretty sure that that's that's the stat. So the SEC has been dominant. Thank you. And Clemson. OK, so three schools. In 18 years outside the SEC, have won a national championship. Florida State. They didn't win. Didn't they win one with uh, Jameis Winston? No, they lost. They lost to Ohio State. All no right, double move check. On. I Anyways, will. the overarching point is the SEC has been dominant for so long. The SEC has been has impassionate fans, and within a region that ideal idealistically doesn't necessarily align with certain parts of the country. So when you put that all together, it makes a lot of sense that this is the direction that they're going, right? Confirmation bias is a big, big thing in America. We have our own perspective and our own ideas of what we want to happen. And then we consume our information based on that agenda. And that's sports, right? The LeBron fans are going to go find the things, the stats that love that favor LeBron as the greatest player of all time. And then they'll you know, Michael Jordan fans are going to do the opposite. So it's it's how this has all gone, right? You have Darren Ravel saying one thing, and you have Clay Travis saying another thing, and you have the coaches saying this and the AD saying people don't know. Nobody knows. And that I agree with you, Brad. The most logical thing is to take a step back and regroup and find a way to get this thing going as a unified movement, you know, January, February, or even March. Um, but it's just not realistic because that's not how America has ever functioned on a political standpoint or an athletic standpoint. Florida state did win the 2013 national championship. Yeah. No, I got you. And Florida state also has a former uh, Rhodes scholar that was an alumni there. So we do have some really smart guys in the, in the college aspect. And, and look guys, I, I'm. Did you speaking... go to Florida state? Did you say we? Uh, I did not go to Florida. Oh, okay. Florida. I wasn't sure. I, I meant we as, as a, a collective college oh, got you. Yeah, landscape. But um, look, I think there's a lot of fans that, that fly off emotion, especially in the Southeastern conference. Look guys, I'm from Florida. I'm, I'm that's where I'm born and raised. There's a lot of high energy, emotional college fans in the South. And they sometimes don't tend to, uh, look at, at, at things along the, uh, the lines of, of safety and what's right for everyone. They're wanting to push forward and have their product on the field. Look, guys, we work with, with guys, Blake and, and Doobie, that are from the Southeastern Conference. They know how passionate they are about their sports. Not saying that, that the Pac-12 and West Coast Conference or, or anybody on the West isn't, but sometimes they fly more so on emotion than trying to collectively do what's best for the whole. So when I present this argument, I'm sometimes speaking from an average college football fans, and they need your guys' input to kind of balance out the conversation, you know, because sometimes the conversation isn't balanced. But if we want to move forward in the middle of a pandemic as people, we need more balance. Okay, and we need to take things into consideration, like you mentioned, Jordan and John. And, and I think those are important things 
to to take into consideration. And I just think we should move more on the side of being aligned, like the players and coaches from Pac-12 United tried to do, as opposed to being too far on one side of the argument. And I'm I'm completely in favor of shutting it all down and hitting the reset button. My only problem comes into place when you have so many people on different sides. And I know that, that you guys mentioned that this is just where we are in society these days, but somebody's got to wave the flag of balance at some point in society and take a stand to be consistent. We have almost zero consistency from a political, from an educational, from a sporting aspect. Some organization, some big entity or group has to take a stand for consistency and say, this is the route that we're going to go and and we're going to unite together. And I don't know where that starts, guys. Should the power five be that group? Should the power five after this year, if the, I think the big 12, big 10 and the Pac-12 just say screw and don't play this year. I don't think they play in spring. Who knows what happens with fall, but just say screw it because it's going to mess everything up for next year. Play in 2021. What they should do is the group of five and the power five should separate because the NCAA has proven that they they just don't can't function as an overarching entity anyways. You figure out how you want to do your interconference, whatever. But I think that the the power five should split away and find a way to unify because coronavirus is going to be around for a lot longer than people think because we're going to be standing six feet away and having masks until everybody is vaccinated. And getting the vaccine is one thing, which is going to take a long time. But getting every single person or getting the majority of these people vaccinated, it's enough to get them tested. Imagine having to get them vaccinated. People are way more against vaccinations than they are against testing. So this thing is going to be around for a while. They have to plan for how do we find a way to battle this in success for the future. And I think that that's the best way to do it. They become a unified group and they put in stipulations that make it consistent to battle this thing and make sure that there is a way to get these athletes back on the field in a comfortable and safe manner starting next fall. I agree with that. I just, unfortunately, I think the SEC specifically will fight to the death to play football in the fall or as soon as possible. And I think oh, they I'm will. I'm saying they can play. I'm saying that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 should just, if they're already canceled, just just let them let the other three conferences play. They can play for a conference championship, put a big asterisk next to the season, and then the five schools regroup next season or the five conferences. That's why well, I'm not saying that they should all abide by it. Sorry, Jordan, go ahead. Sorry, John, you were cutting in and out. I didn't know what oh, you were exactly oh. done. It's the hotel. I Wi-Fi. think you're all good now. It's hotel, hotel Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's let's, find, <laughs> let's find a way to talk a little bit about football here. Um, it can, can, can get a little bit exhausting talking about all the other factors, as I'm sure literally every American can relate to right now. On the field, there's not going to be football in the fall. The conference didn't announce plans for a spring season yet. They said pretty much we're going to reassess January 1, 2021. What are fans missing out on in the fall? Uh, Immediately coming to mind here, if the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 go ahead and play football, I think uh, for the Pac-12, you have Oregon taken out of the national championship uh, conversation which of course is a long shot with replacing Justin Herbert, but we're talking about a defense that featured, uh, you know, guys like Thomas Graham, guys like Javon Allen, uh, who may be going to the NFL now, an offensive lineman like Penae Sewell. They may never play a college down again. There's a lot lost for Oregon uh, this fall. That that immediately comes to my mind because that, that could have been the best defense in the country. I don't think that's a hot take. I'd say unanimously considered top three entering the season. They could have been the number one defense in the country. And it's unfortunate that the Ducks don't get their shot at a national title. What what else are we losing out on in the fall? Uh, what, what comes to mind, Jonathan? Oh, two big ones. Two big ones. Call me a homer if you want, Jordan. But Keaton Slovis to Almond Ross St. Brown, man. That is yep. going to – and Tyler Vaughn. That is – those two wide receivers may be the best established duo in the nation right now. And Keaton Slovis, the emergence that he had last season, I'm so – I think I think Jaden Daniels will be the best quarterback in the Pac-12. But I think that Keaton Slovis is going to, going to start to elevate his game from what we saw last season. And by year three – uh, we'll see. Okay. Maybe next year. So maybe in two years, we'll see him uh, really progress as, as maybe even a Heisman. That guy has the intangibles. When you come up under Kurt Warner, 
uh, you're some, you can turn into something special. And that guy is still still getting advice from those guys. Um, and then Jaden Daniels throwing to Johnny Wilson and Chad Ochocinco Jr., Chad Johnson. And Frank Darby. And Frank Darby. Yeah, Darby's back. I mean, um, Darby. Darby's a guy, you look, the last two years, two first-round picks at receiver, Nikhil Harry and Brandon Ayuk. And oh, yeah. This was Darby's year to be the number one guy, to be a top target. And if he doesn't get that opportunity, his NFL draft stock suffers a lot. And I, that, that's really unfortunate for him. Yeah, I mean, that, that. And then also going up north, I was excited to see what Jimmy Lake was going to do with Washington. I mean, he has an interesting decision to make at quarterback. He has four options at quarterback. Who is he going to choose and how are they going to revamp that offense to compete in the north? I think that he is him and Jonathan Smith are the two most intelligent coaches outside of Mario Cristobal. No offense to Nick Rolovich uh, in the north. Uh, right now in terms of their offensive mind. I'm not talking about Cal because Cal is defensively stout, but offensively, um, and I was really excited to see what, what Coach Lake had, had in store for us up in Washington. Yeah, I think we're missing the big rivalries. You mentioned one right there, John, the Apple Cup, Washington, Washington State, uh, Oregon, Oregon State, USC, UCLA, a lot of storied historic rivalries that we're missing on the field. Um, games that people are just so fired up about that they – Sometimes people wait their entire year just to attend one of those games. Uh, now they can't even watch them on their television. So I think the rivalries, the, the passion, the energy, uh, the camaraderie that, that brings together some of these rivalries and games that we're missing out on the field, it's a big blow. It's a big blow to the conference. It's a big blow to uh, the alumni and to the players. There's just so many players who, you know, in December when they're playing their final collegiate game of the season you know you like I remember being on broadcast for college football games where a lot of the storylines the back half of the season was okay this team is positioning themselves for success next year this is the leap that this player has to take into the next year and there are a lot of players we just may never see again uh at Oregon three come to mind Panay Sewell the Outland Trophy winner Thomas Graham Javon Holland may never see those guys Oregon State, Jamar Jefferson, just a rock at running back. Hamels Garrishi Jr. at Oregon State, one of the leading tacklers in the country. Walker Little, an offensive lineman at Stanford who was injured last year and physically has all the tools to be one of the top linemen in the country. He's going to miss out on a prove-it season potentially. Paulson Adebo at Stanford as well, who has the makings of a great quarterback but has struggled in coverage, especially on deep routes where he gets burned. He's going to miss out on a prove-it opportunity. That, to me, at least on the field, is the biggest tragedy for these guys who have been gearing up for four years to finally get this opportunity this year to secure the bag for their future. They may not get that. Uh, and even if we do see spring football, those guys have an incredibly difficult decision to make. Do I play, perhaps risk, uh, my draft stock by getting injured, by you know not having a normal long off season heading into their rookie seasons, or do I play, assume all those risks and try and increase my stock? It's and, and that's not even to mention all the health, uh, all the health aspects here and how that comes into comes into play in the spring. It's it's an impossible decision to put on a, a young person who is. 21, 22 years old. And, you know, a decision that they make in the spring could truly affect the rest of their life and certainly the rest of their career playing football. And guys, where do you think the list, the risk lies with a lot of these student athletes? They're not going to have an on the field fall season, but you can't possibly think that these guys aren't going to be getting together and getting their training and reps in, in some capacity, not in an organized team activity. Um, this is going to happen. There's no way that these college athletes are going to just sit on their couches for four months and wait for a decision to be made. So uh, they're going to have personal workouts and they're going to gather together to try to keep themselves in shape and prepare themselves for the next opportunity that they're going to get to play football again. So where does the risk lie there and are, how safe are they going to be? And what is their testing protocol going to look like uh, without organized team activities by the uh, the schools? Well, they are. Oh, Big Ten said we're have you are allowed to have, like Michigan had practice this morning. Ohio State had practice this morning. These these players are going to be on campus. They are allowed to use the athletic facilities, and the oversight is going to be there, which is why 
everybody in the Big Ten is up in arms because they're like, well, if they're going to be on campus and they're going to be practicing. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense that they're not playing. If you're going to send them home, that's a different story. If you're going to allow them to go party on frat row, that's a different story. But if they're really going to be just going through their reps and practicing and, you know, working out with the strength and athletic, uh, the strength and conditioning coaches, it, it just makes no sense. And the Pac-12, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think that I know Oregon said that their facilities will be open to athletes. I'm not exactly sure about the other schools. I know USC is fully online. Uh, oh, well, every school right now in the Pac-12 is fully online. I think Washington State might be hybrid um, and, and Arizona. Um, but I know like USC w- does not have athletes on its campus right now. I don't know what the conversation there is, but Oregon is cool with it. I know Washington said that they'll have athletes going through their workouts. So I don't know about the Pac-12 specifically, but I know that uh, I know in the Big Ten, every school is allowed to have workouts and most of them are. Well, it's definitely going to be important for these athletes moving forward to have some sort of organization, especially looked after and, and tested by some of the schools. I think it's it's crucial. And, and I would hope that all the conferences that have decided not to play can, can implement something similar to what you mentioned there, John. Look, guys, it's a confusing time. Uh, a tough decision was made on Tuesday. Again, anybody listening to this in podcast form or live here, you know, just want to express, you know, just how bad we feel for everybody involved here, how unfortunate a situation this has been. But thank you for joining us as we broke it down here on August 13th, 2020. A reminder, you can find this podcast on LandryFootball.com or on any major podcasting platform. Thank you for joining us. Jordan Brenner here signing off. Brett Restituto, John Rifkin, thanks for joining me. Everybody, enjoy your weekend. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.